Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for this time together where we can gather as your people in your presence, in your house, and we are so grateful to you for giving us truth, for opening our eyes and ears. And I do pray this morning, O Lord God, that you would truly open our eyes and ears, that we would see and hear and understand, and that we would know what it means to follow Jesus, that we would know what it means to die and yet live. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. Well, this passage before us this morning is one of those tough ones that's really hard to sell on the street. As we're going to read here shortly, it, it comes with a stark, brash statement that really is, when understood, hard to understand, hard to take in, hard to receive. And typical of Jesus, he likes to do that. He likes to, to swing hard and punch you square in the nose and then watch you walk back and shake your head and wonder what just happened to you. And that's kind of what happens to the people who hear what he's about to say this morning. And, and here's the amazing thing about it. Just like Jesus, it comes hard, it comes brash, it comes almost confusing, like, like a riddle yet filled with deep truth and meaning, actually life-giving, life-transformative. And that's what we're going to see this morning, is how this passage truly shows us the way of life. It's a, it's a remarkable passage that's actually incredibly convicting, exposes us to the core, and truly reveals in all of us, all of us sitting here this morning, our fundamental problem. Do you realize that all of us here face a fundamental problem? We have to deal with this problem on a day-to-day basis. The problem is you. (laughs) Sorry to break it to you. But that's the problem. It's right here. And often it's easy to look at the world, isn't it? And see and think the problem is out there. The problem is Hillary. Not anymore. But no, that's not the truth. The problem is right here in reality. But it's easy to find demons. It's easy to find people we don't like. It's easy to to point our finger. Would you agree? It's easy. But it's not so easy when you go like this and turn that finger right on yourself and say, here is the problem. But that's what we need to do, and Jesus is going to do that this morning. He's going to hopefully take our finger and just turn it right here toward us. So let's look at Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit does it profit a man? For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, that might not have shocked you because you're used to hearing that. And you hear the word, you know, take up your cross. Oh, yeah, take up your cross. That's what you do, right? That's how it works. 
But Jesus points out the cost of following him. And I want, to, I want us to understand what, how this must have come across to the people hearing it in his day, not just to us. Because he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, this must have sounded completely strange to the people who heard it that day. And here's why. Their understanding of the cross was to think of it this way. The most horrible, horrific way a person could die. The cross was what the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry to the place of their crucifixion. Where you would hang on a cross, not a cross, hang on a cross, and there you would suffocate to death and suffer in the torturous heat and be exposed to complete humiliation before everybody. Apparently, it was horrific. Never experienced it, or, but it was bad. It was really a bad way to die because you suffered so much in the death process. So bearing one's cross, when they heard the word of bearing a cross, it meant carrying their own execution device while facing ridicule along the way. Yet today... <clears throat> When we hear the words, take up your cross or carry your cross, often that phrase of taking up your cross is interpreted today as taking up burdens, burdens that you have to carry, like a strained relationship or a thankless job or a physical illness, which they say is my cross that I must bear. This is a cross I must carry. This is a cross I must bear. But this is not what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. When Jesus carried his cross up to Golgotha to be crucified, no one was thinking of the cross as symbolic of a burden to carry. To a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only, death by the most painful and humiliating means possible. Yet for most Christians today, if it's not seen as just a burden to carry, it's it's actually the cross. When I even heard the word, take up your cross, it's a cherished symbol. We wear it around our necks. We think of it as a redemption, of atonement, of forgiveness, of grace and love. We'll have it often in churches and steeples. The cross today is not thought of as horrific. It's thought of as glorious and beautiful because to us it's our salvation, right? And so it's changed. It's, it's completely different. So we hear this in a different way. But you have to think for a moment, if you're a first century Christian hearing what Jesus is saying here, these are some hard words. What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus wanted them to know the cost up front. He was good with this, wasn't it? He always, he made the the cost, and he put the cost up front, and the cost was heavy. And he caused a lot of people to scratch their heads and wonder, and many people to turn away from him, saying, what is he talking about? That's just, that's craziness. Yet Jesus knew what they were going to face. He doesn't want half-hearted followers who are going to, who are going to, He was going to get following him, and he knew it was coming. Persecution, suffering, in many cases, martyrdom was coming. Every one of his apostles, we know that all of them except John, were martyred. All of them, without exception, were persecuted, were reviled, were hated, were slandered, were put in prison, were were cast out of synagogues, cast out of family relationships. They lost a ton. 
Just go read the book of Acts if you don't believe that. That's what it's filled with, is the expansion of the gospel, but not just the expansion of the gospel. Also, you see the persecution upon the church and those who are following Jesus. So Jesus wanted to be clear up front. But yet today, when we read this, we, we are different times, completely different times. And those of us, of us who follow Jesus, we don't face quite the same persecution. But it doesn't negate the fact that we have to hear what Jesus is saying, and there's an application towards us. Those who desire to follow me, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. So here's part of the truth of what he's saying here. Denying himself and take up his cross. And he doesn't just say, because in their minds, they'll think, okay, maybe one day I'll have to take up my cross to, uh, to be crucified. He's, he says something weird here. Take up your cross, notice what he says? Daily. When you think of crucifixion, it's like a one time. You don't do that daily. It's not something you, you know, let's try that one again. It's effective. It works. It crucifies. It kills you. So deny himself, take up your cross daily. Hmm. That's an interesting one. Because here's what will happen. When we understand what Jesus is truly talking about here, we will realize that truly you must take up your cross daily. Because what he's referring to is the, the death of self. And we know he's, that he says the very words, let him deny himself. And this is what it means, taking up your cross, dying to yourself daily. So the cross always confronts our own passions and desires. Because our agendas... Our dreams and our passions will daily collide with what Jesus has for us and what we want for ourselves. Just think about what happens on a daily basis that's not a part of your plan, that's not a part of your agenda, that's not a part of your dreams. It's not what you want. I didn't sign up for this. Daily, you can run into things. Do you not run into stuff that confronts you with things you don't like, you don't want. They're not according to my plans. Most of us face these frustration after frustration and difficulty after difficulty in this life as we, we realize at that point, something must give. These frustrations and these difficulties expose our love of self, our lack of submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So when we're driving down the freeway to work and someone cuts us off and everyone is driving way too slow, way too slow, we don't submit to God's will, we get angry. And why do we get angry? This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want. I don't like this. This goes against my agenda. This goes against what I want. This goes against what is good. This goes against me. And it's not because we can no longer serve and honor Jesus in those moments. It's because we, can no longer, we are no longer getting what we want. Our wills are being resisted. Just watch your child when they want something, 
but you don't give it to them or you take it away. What happens, parents? They get upset. They don't like that. You thwart a child's will. Just go do it. Go thwart their will. Go, they want something. Either take it away or, or tell them no or stop them from doing it. What happens? Well, a child will usually, a lot of times, throw a tantrum. And then they need to be disciplined because they need to, they need to work this out. That's no, the world doesn't revolve around you. This is not like planet me. It takes a while for them to figure that out. But we're no different. The, here's a main difference. We have adult tantrums. They have child tantrums. So just because we no longer kick and scream and yell and, and, and freak out and get, and, and get on the floor and, and throw our hands and feet and we say, oh, that's just childish. Well, look at you. When stuff doesn't go your way or the things that you want get thwarted and it doesn't happen, what do you respond like? You get angry. Oh, that's so much better. That's the adult version. We get frustrated. We start fuming. We start steaming. We get upset. We get agitated. That's how we respond to our wills being thwarted. We don't like it. You know, one thing we'll all find out several times in a day is that we do not like having our wills resisted. It's no fun. Especially if you are a person with strong desires, strong plans, strong agendas, and a strong will. It's tougher for you. You probably have anger problems because you're not getting what you want. And this is why Jesus said, you must take up your cross daily, daily, and follow me. So how often must I and you die to ourselves? Daily. Why? Because when you wake up the next morning, there you are. There you are. There are your desires. There, it's easy to start dreaming and planning and getting your agenda and fixing your mind on what it is you need and want to do, right? And boy, it's easy to get frustrated in the day because it's not happening. It's not working out quite as planned. And so Jesus says, you want to follow me? You must, take, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Because you're going to be confronted on a day-to-day basis with yourself, your selfish desires. And this is part of what discipleship is dying to self and submitting to Jesus. Jesus, your Lord, not me. That's easy to say. But you will find out it's much different when it comes to living that out as soon as you're confronted with an alternative plan and agenda. Our life is no longer our own. But we, in life and in death, belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. This means our self-will, our selfish plans, and our dreams must go to the cross daily. And there, we must die. As John MacArthur put it, let him deny himself is basically saying, deny everything that yourself longs for in the world. You have lived All men do, driven by the passions of desire, driven by the passions of vision, coveting what they can see, driven by the immense desire to be honored, rewarded, esteemed, to be powerful, all that pride envelops. This is how we all live our lives, and that's exactly what you have to give up. So Jesus says, here's the principle. If you want to come after me, 
You deny yourself. So at this point, all you're hearing is bad news, it sounds like. Oh, great. Deny yourself. Sign me up. You know, this is going to be wonderful. Uh, Take up your cross daily. Crucifixion. Wonderful. Every day. All good. Wow. Where where can I enroll? I mean, this is is fantastic. But that's not the case. We're like, where do I run? How do I hide? How do I get away from this crazy man? Because who wants to do that? But he quickly follows it up and shows the benefit of following Jesus. In verse 24, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Another mind-bender. Jesus, why are you talking in riddles? It's like, what's going on here? He just messes with them even further, it seems like, because this, this doesn't make much sense. Who in their right mind would think of losing is gaining? Yeah, you want to win, you got to lose. What? It's like saying, whoever eats their dinner will be hungry. And whoever doesn't eat their dinner will be full. Huh? <laughs> well, what are you talking? What's, who's talking nonsense right now? This doesn't make sense. You can guarantee that everyone who heard that was a little puzzled. A little shaken. Not quite understanding. And, and I you guarantee it. You know, even the apostles, the closest to him, were, you know, they might have been sitting there like this and like, once again, <laughs> we don't know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> that must have been the common experience. What's he say? What's he mean? It's like, I don't know, let's just keep following him. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. And the thing was, is that this is why it's brilliant. Because if you think about what he's saying, it truly takes faith, and faith alone to believe it. Because it's an odd concept to think that he who loses will gain. Or he who loses his life will save his life. He who saves his life will lose it. But the only way somebody could actually do that is if they truly believed what Jesus is saying to be true. It doesn't make much sense, but knowing him, it's good, it's right, it's true, and therefore I'll do it. It forces faith. It can only be done by faith. It can't be done through rationalization. It's be believing his word to be true. And so you, you go forward believing that, I know, I know it sounds weird in losing, I'm winning, but I'm going to do it because he said it, and I believe for somehow it's true, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense. Because none of us are going to do something like lose our life if we don't believe the promise attached to it, which is we will gain it. It's kind of like saying, someone saying, jump off this cliff, and before you hit the bottom, you are going to enter into this amazing life. And you, and you go, I know what happens when you jump off a cliff. You don't enter into life. You, you splat, and then there's death. That, so jump off the cliff means jump into your death. When was the last time you watched somebody... Maybe you didn't watch, you know, but you've, you know of the record. It's pretty, pretty guaranteed. And, and, of course, Jesus isn't calling anybody to jump off a cliff. But he is calling them to take up their cross, to die to themselves, which at the time was kind of 
remarkable. And he says, by doing this, this is the promise, you will live. You have life. And he says, I didn't come to destroy your life. I come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. I come to give you life. What you have now is death and darkness. Your life's a sham. And here I come to give you it. But here's the thing. You must die. What? Yeah, you must die. Well, you know, Jesus is never concerned with trying to uh, make offers so good that no one could resist. He knows emphatically that those whom the Father has given to him will hear his word, will believe it, and actually go for the offer. He doesn't rely on human schemes and plans to try to conjure a following. He desi- he, rather, he raises the bar so high that only those who truly believe will actually take him up on it and do it. Isn't that the opposite, kind of what the church does today? We lower the bar so that if you just, you know, just simply believe and pray for Jesus to come into your heart and you will go to heaven you die when you die. That's kind of the package being sold. Now, it's true. It's true that if you believe, you'll have eternal life, as scriptures teach us. But look at what kind of stuff you have to believe. You have to believe that if you try to keep your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll gain it. Now, to those who have lost their life and surrendered all to Jesus, they will testify gladly and say, Jesus was right. To those who've kept their life and never tasted Jesus, who've never surrendered to him, they will never know. Was he right or not? It's only by faith that we could walk forward in this and actually believe Jesus for something that seems to go against our understanding. Yet, what those who, have, who don't do this on a daily basis, what they don't realize is the life that they're missing out on. They don't realize that they're forsaking so much. Because most people who are stressed out, living miserable lives, running from one thing to the next, constantly trying to save their life, in other words, gain their life, get life somehow, they don't find it. You know, we're constantly trying to live each day according to our own agendas, our own plans, our own dreams. And because God often has a different agenda, a different plan, and a different dream, we end up frustrated, angered, anxious, and depressed. Because it's not what we want. Just think about the things that frustrate you and anger you. The things that cause you to stress out and get depressed. In every single case, it's because you're not getting what you would like or really want to happen. In every single case, you're stressing and fretting and worrying and frustrated and angered because the dream that you had is shattered. Well, who shattered it? God did. Do you realize that Jesus is going to bring you to crosses daily? He's going he's to take you where you're at and he's in your self-will and your self-governance and your self-ideas and your agendas and your plans and what you want are going to collide with what he has planned for you. 
and it's going to expose in you that you really, what I really want, if I'm, all, if I'm honest before Jesus, is I don't want the cross, I want my way. But when I go to the cross, and I die to myself, and my plans, and my agendas, and my dreams, and I find there at that moment when I surrender the Lord Jesus, and said, not my will, but yours be done, that there I find life. I find freedom. I find freedom from my own agendas, plans, and dreams, and schemes that aren't working out. But you know what? I have to wake up the next morning, and it's easy the next morning to pick up my own plans and dreams again. That's why he says, how often do I have to do this? Daily. Daily. I'm telling you what, you could have a time in your life. Think about your life where you you surrendered to God. You gave him all things. Your Lord of my life, Jesus. Your will be done. Not me, not my will, not my plans. None of that. You. And when you did that, did you experience freedom? Did you experience peace? Did you experience liberty? I'll guarantee you you did. Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. And as long as you go on trying to keep your life, hold on to your life, and grasp and clutch after your your plans and your dreams and everything you want and everything, it's not coming together the way I want. And as soon as and as soon as you're clutching and grabbing after that, it'll suck the life right out of you. And you find there's no life. You find that that way of living, so-called living, is death. But even as Christians, we go through peaks and valleys, and we have times in our lives where all of a sudden we start building up our own little kingdoms once again. And let me get back to this. This is why Jesus says you must die daily. Because tomorrow morning, you could start right back up with me, my plans, self, my dreams, and going after it. And then you're confronted, perhaps even this morning, And you realize, whoa, have I gotten off track. Well, here it is again. Die daily. Surrender today. Give up today. Give him all that you have today. And in doing so, you will find life. Every day this must happen. And when we live for Jesus, Jesus points out to us. Also, on the flip side. If we're living for him and not living for him, he goes even further in this text. He says, okay, this is, what the, this is what it's going to cost you, but hey, here's the benefit. But here, now, let me, now he shifts and he says, now here's the cost of not doing it. And that's what he says in verse 25 and 26. He says, for what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself, or as, as it says in Matthew, his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him, I, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So Jesus is saying, even if you get everything you ever wanted, perhaps even gain the whole world. Now, of course, that's hyperbole, because you can't, he's, you, nobody's going to, one person can gain the whole world. Yet he says it to say, okay, let's just go as far as we can with it. How much can a man gain? The most he could possibly gain is the whole world. Let's give it all to him. Let's say, say, that's all in your court. There you go. It's yours. <clears throat> Excuse me. At that point, he's saying, you've made the fool's choice. Because 
what would it profit him if in the end and for eternity he loses his soul? I uh, saw an analogy once I thought was really good. Francis Chan gave this analogy. I'm going to steal it. And help, it helps, really does, I think, put into perspective what Jesus is saying here. And if you notice up here, can you all see this? There's a rope up front. And the rope goes from here and it winds around. It's supposed to, it's piled up over there. But on this end, you'll notice this little black tape. And this here, <clears throat> this represents your life. Let's just say you lived 100 years. Here's your 100 years. And the rest of the rope, it, just imagine for me a moment here that it doesn't end. It's eternal. The rest of it represents the life you'll live after this life. And as you see this, and just the, it keeps going, going, this is a hundred years. Well, I mean, Jesus saying, if you, let's just say you gained the whole world. You had it all. I hope you enjoyed it. Because now this is what you have eternity left. Eternity with none of it. And I think it's just, it's a powerful analogy of seeing and putting in perspective. That's what Jesus is trying to do, to put it into perspective for us. What would it profit if you gained it all in that little blip and lost it all for eternity? That's sobering, isn't it? It would mean nothing. Jesus wants us to get perspective. And this helps us to understand that life is short. And yet the world will say, they admit it, life is short. Live it up. The world says life is short. Man, you, you better get after it. You better get all you can out of it. Because that's everything for them. And Jesus is saying, life is short. You better not invest in it, but invest in what's coming. If you're a wise man, you will get it. If you're a fool, you won't. You know, Jesus further warns in this passage, because he knows it's going to be tempting to be ashamed of his words. He says, not only is this a fool's choice to do this, but hey, let me tell you something else that's going to happen you're probably going to get to the point where if you might be ashamed or tempted to be ashamed of my words, but if you're ashamed of me and my words, let me tell you something. I will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. That's a stark warning. Once again, just think of what you're giving up. You're exchanging this little piece on the end for all the rest that follows. He says, don't make the fool's choice. But you know what's interesting? Jesus said this to his disciples, and they're probably leaning forward, listening to him, saying, man, this is some serious stuff. I'm not exactly sure what he means, but it's serious. Very serious. But here's the irony of it all. Just a little bit later, what does Peter do? Peter denies that he knows Jesus. Peter abandons him. But you know what? The difference was that Peter had not yet received the power of the Spirit. 
Because I think these words, if we don't understand that the Holy Spirit is a game changer and the difference maker in our lives, these words are terrifying. Because if, do you know yourself? I know how tempting and how easy it is to deny Jesus and get put in pressure and say, that, that could be very different. That scares me. And it scares me because I know myself. And if I was put in the right situation under the right amount of pressure, I'm afraid of what I would do. I would be just like Peter. And so would you. But there's a game changer. Acts chapter 2 happened. Jesus poured out his spirit and gave power to his people. And now you watch Peter afterwards, and it's quite different. You watch what they're doing. Now they're suffering, and they're being beaten, and, they're, and they die for Jesus. They're different people because now they have strength and power they need to actually stand up for Jesus. You know, we cannot help but be ashamed of Jesus in our flesh because we're shameful creatures who are like that. We, we, we don't do well with pressure. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can stand against nations. Truly, truly we can. You know, just, just think of how many people are ashamed to stand with Jesus today when it comes to opposing the mobs against the definition of marriage. If we stand with Jesus and say that marriage is only between a man and a woman, and that man with man and woman with woman is an abomination to God, then we will be mocked, ridiculed, and slandered for this. It's happening. Now, this doesn't mean we go out and look for opportunities to be slandered, mocked, and abused. We should be people who seek peace, who seek love, who seek to bless. Yet, when you stand with Jesus, there comes times, and there might become a time, and you never know when it could be, that you, all of a sudden you get put on the spot. And now, you, now wh- what am I going to do? Well, you better humbly pray that Jesus would help you to stand with him. I remember years ago, I, for my summer job, I went to this coal mine, and I was working with a bunch of rough guys in the warehouse. And we all had lunchtime together, and we'd all gather in the lunchroom, and there's probably about 15 people in there or whatever it was. And I'm this new summer student. I, I just got to know a few of the guys, and... And I'm sitting there with my, eating my lunch, and all of a sudden, the, the loud guy who likes to say everything on, on 10 and make sure everybody hears and knows and takes crazy opportunities to say these things, he says, Hey, Dean, I hear you're religious. And I'm like, Oh, no. And I, at this moment, my world slowed down, and I was like, I felt the heat. I turned red, and I, 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 said, this is, I said, Lord Jesus, help me. Like, what do you say to that? Uh, uh, um, well, um, I'm not sure I'd consider myself religious, but I said, you know what? I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is my Savior, and I follow him. And I was like, back to my food. Uh, <laughs> and I, I love that day, and that, that happened to me. Because the Lord... The Lord was with me. And not only did I testify of Jesus to them, I experienced his power. Not before, 
Not, it wasn't like I came in strong, but in the moment I cried out to him, and boom, I, I literally, I was given strength. And I look back, and that testifies to my own heart even, that God is with me. And the, and, the, and the amazing thing is this, that his promises are true. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you to the end of the age. And sometimes you don't feel like he's with you, you don't know he's with you, but you're put in situations where all of a sudden it's made obvious he is with you. That day, it was obvious he was with me. I remember him emboldening me empowering me and once I started talking is as if I could have testified to the most crazy things that Jesus ever said just prior to that when he asked me the question I felt like I was going to buckle but he met me there and here's that this is the amazing truth that you might be called upon and probably in your life you will be called upon to testify and let me tell you something it'll never be you you don't have the strength. Don't think you're macho. Don't think, I'm going to buckle up for Jesus. Peter thought that. You will not. You will crumble in the face of the enemies. But if you humbly rely upon his grace and you say, Lord Jesus, help me, he will help you every time. You know, I think there are a lot of people who are going to be surprised on the last day. Because the truth about the cost of following Jesus was never, never embraced by them. They were told that all they needed to do was pray a prayer and receive Jesus into their heart and that Jesus would receive them in the day of judgment. However, this is never how Jesus presented it. It's never how the apostles presented it. Jesus calls people to follow him. And it means that they must take up their cross daily and die to themselves. They must live their lives for him, not for themselves. And on the day of judgment, as we stand before God, it will be revealed before all who are living. It will be revealed if we lived our lives for him or for ourselves. If we're live, living for Jesus, then it makes manifest that we were not Lord, but Jesus was. Yet to our own consciences, it's made manifest to us on a day-to-day basis. You know. You know sitting here this morning. You know whether you're living your life, living your dreams, your plans, or God's. You know whether you're submitting to him and following him or submitting to you and following you. You know, and God knows. So I want to say to you today, if you love your life, you will lose it. And if you love the Lord Jesus and you give your life for him, to him, you will gain it. So here today, this morning, choose this day whom you will serve. 
Self or Jesus? And may God grant you grace. Amen. Father, we're so thankful. So thankful that you have granted us faith, has filled us with your spirit, have called us to the Lord Jesus Christ and shown us the way of truth and the way of life. Oh, Lord God, I beg of you and I plead of you that you would help us all here this morning to today and every day after this, daily, surrender ourselves to you and say, Oh, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Father, grant us this. Grant us this grace. And that we would be followers, true followers of Jesus, who take up the cross daily, denying ourselves and living for you. Grant this grace to all those who sit here this morning, for we ask it in Christ. Amen.